Well, it's been quite a journey the last couple months as we have been answering questions that many of you submitted online. And we have been taking one at a time, and like Britton has shared, and I've shared, there are so many questions that were asked, uh, so many that we can't get to all of them. But we've been hitting the, the bigger ones that uh, you shared, the bigger ones that popped up to the top of the list. And uh, this question, this topic that we're going to address today, was probably by far the second most uh, requested topic. And it's the topic of abortion. And there were four questions that were shared online, and as you read them, it just, my heart grieved, just over the, the amount of weight that people are feeling. And as we looked at this conversation on, on abortion, there were two people that came to mind, Kel and Pat Vanderkolk, and as we were praying about it, we're like, well, they need to share their story. Because um, around these topics, around these conversations that we've been having, and they truly have been conversations, we want to equip you to engage in conversations with real people who have these real questions, who are wondering, what does God say about this issue or that issue? What does God want for my life? And so this conversation has never been around like an issue to be debated, but about real people to shepherd in both truth and grace as the Lord leads you into conversations with people. And so this morning, the teaching on abortion is going to happen mostly in the midst of a conversation. And when I came to Moran Park four or so years ago, these wonderful people had myself and, and my wife over to their house. And I didn't know anything about their story. And as we ate dinner, it was a summer, I think it was like August, and it was a beautiful summer night. We sat out on your back porch and uh, talked, and then all of a sudden you said, Let's tell you, let me tell you a little bit about our story. And they shared their story in a beautiful way, in an authentic way, in a way that puts Jesus at the center of their story, where Jesus is the absolute hero. And so that's going to be the topic of our conversation this morning. We're going to talk about abortion, but we're going to talk about it and lift up the redemptive aspect and the elevate, elevate the name of Jesus. And so it's going to take courage for them to share. I mean, imagine you coming up on this stage and sharing with a couple hundred of your close friends some really stuff that was deep and dark in your life. Stuff that you kept secret for a long time. It's going to take courage for them to share. And I'm so appreciative of their willingness to step forward and courage. But they're not the only ones who are going to be asked to do a courageous thing. Because I'm not just going to ask you to just sit and listen. But I'm going to ask you to sit and listen and engage in the, with the Holy Spirit. Because there are going to be things that the Lord wants you to do in your life. Steps that he wants you to take in your life. Conversations that you may need to have. Because all of us are on a journey in our relationship with Jesus, and that journey is one step at a time, and today might be a significant step for you. And so I'm going to ask for you to take, be courageous as they are. And so this whole um, teaching this morning is going to happen around a conversation, and uh, again, this is Pat and Kel Vanderkolk. They've been at Moran for many years, eight years, and Kel served as a deacon of finance and administration. He is um, excited that he's free of those responsibilities for, for now. <laughs> Even though he's always asked questions um, and engaged, asked to give his input. And Pat was an elder for many years and uh, probably is excited to be a part of the, not a part of those conversations anymore, but uh, a huge part of uh, Moran Park as well. And they shared this story years ago at Moran Park when there was about a hundred or so people. <laughs> and so it's a little bit different. And so they uh, told me when I asked them, they said, yep, we'll do it. But uh, on that Sunday morning, we might feel a, an urge to just drive to Florida and just drive and keep, uh, keep on driving. 
So I'm glad that they stopped um, at 16th Street and came here and uh, parked the car in our parking lot and, and are here to share this morning. And so I'm going to have them start uh, just by uh, starting by sharing when they were 17. And what led you to walk into an abortion clinic? What were the events that led up to that? How did you feel and how did you feel walking out? So when we were 17, um, we found ourselves in that position of an unplanned and an unwanted pregnancy. And we made two very quick decisions. The very first decision that we made was we chose abortion. And that decision was made really fast. Um, and we made it without um, having a lot of information. I haven't shared this part with too many people, but when I was walking into the clinic, I just remembered, I didn't want to look at a calendar. I didn't want to know the date because I thought, this isn't going to be a day to celebrate. And when I look back a year from now or 10 years from now, I don't want to know the date because I know it's not going to be a celebratory time. So going in was, I'll say, difficult. It was presented to me as an uncomplicated procedure, of course. It went as planned. But what they never tell you is when you walk out of the clinic, you have a gut full of other problems. You may have gotten rid of the problem that you went in for, but when you walk out of that door, you walk out with two new best friends, guilt and shame. And you hang out with those friends every day for a long time. You get to walk out wearing a heavy cloak, a cloak of fear. And every single day, you put that cloak on. And then you walk around with your best friends called guilt and shame. <clears throat> Spiritually, I think it just takes a little chunk out of your soul. And even though you think you're okay, that chunk is still gone. So this is where this story gets kind of weird. <laughs> My answer to that question is, um, my answer was, let's get it done quick and let's move on. Um, because my answer was, hey, I got plans and I got dreams and we got dreams and we're active in school and uh, college plans and this stuff. So um, the way I, at that time, honestly, was let's be quiet about this, let's get it done, and let's move on. Um, so that that was, and at that time, I'm going to be honest with you, um, there was a little relief when it was done on my part. It was like, good. It's done. So you moved on, and the two of you got married, 
and decided never to talk about that day. And you had two kids, two more kids, and went through your life in West Michigan, um, appearing like everything was hunky-dory, and had a good life, and um, a lot of memories. But you decided never to talk about that day. Uh, Yeah, what was life like carrying that around between the two of you? That was the second decision we made, is that we were never going to talk about it again. And that was an unwritten rule that we had between the two of us, and we maintained that idea that that was the best thing for us. I think I took the whole abortion experience, and I just simply swallowed it. And I felt like I had swallowed it, I pushed it deep down, and I think it became all entangled in my gut, kind of like fish line, that it all got mixed up with emotions and with the physical and with the spiritual and with humanism and with life. And it was down there, stuck, and I wanted it to remain stuck. For, for me, and I said to Dave, Dave said, what was life like? And I, I said, it was really West Michigan good. I mean, it, 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 it was good. Um, and all along, I never had this feeling that I didn't want to protect Pat. I never, I never had this feeling that I didn't want what was best for her. But I really bought into this. Um, let's just be quiet, and that's protection. Silence is golden here. Um, th- and that's what I really bought into. So in order to protect Pat, in order to honestly protect me, let's just keep this deep, dark secret hidden. So you said West Michigan good, and I think that's a very interesting phrase, because let's be honest, West Michigan good isn't always the same as God's best. Um, Those are two, can be two completely different things. But you said you went on to West Michigan good and lived your life, never talked about it, but just this morning, you brought up a, a time when you went to church, and they were talking about the sanctity of life, and why don't you, just to, to, to really highlight, even though you weren't talking about it, the pain that the two of you still fe- felt many years after, um, why don't you h- share about what happened on that day when you were in church for Sanctity of Life Sunday, uh, still not sharing or not talking about what you did at 17? The Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and it, I, I want to put that there's value in it, and when we sat in the pew, like you are, we probably heard out of our own woundedness. And I remember um, being in a spot when the abortion topic would come up. And I became really good at putting on a poker face. And I did that out of my own protection because I never quite knew if my emotions were going to betray me and I was going to lay on the ground in a puddle. So I would immediately be able to to put this on. I suspect there's a few of you that might be flipping that poker face on right now. I'm sorry. But as this woman was talking about her own abortion... Um, I thought, well, I would never do something like that. We're holding it a secret, and I'm never going to speak it out. She's really brave, but that's never coming out of my mouth. And I think I I just sat there and 
kind of gritted my teeth and tried to breathe through it. And I'm thinking, when will she be done? Because I want to just get the heck out of here. Yeah, for me, it, it, it hits at that inner soul. Um, and, and still to this day, it hits at that inner soul. It really does. Um, it's, it's not something that goes away. Um, but again, I thought silence was protection. So let's not talk about it. I think there were like five words said in 30-some years. And that day, we got in the car out of church, and I said to her, it still hurts, doesn't it? And she said, yes. That's it. Those are the words that we talked about for 30-some years. It still hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. So you're up here today talking about it. Still hurts. <laughs> still hurts. So something happened. After carrying around secret for 30 years, abortion started to come up to the surface. How did that happen? How did the Lord start this journey of healing that the two of you have experienced? Yeah, I never anticipated it. Um, but in 2006, and it happened to just be the Sanctity of Human Life weekend, of all things, and, and we weren't going to go to church. We had that all no, planned out. We were done going to church. Sanctity of Life Sunday. <laughs> we just skipped. It was easier. And so um, it was the Friday of, of that weekend in January, and I was in the car driving, and I was listening to Focus on the Family. And all of a sudden, I started hearing on the Focus on the Family story time thing that they have, and the guy was talking about a building in Grand Rapids, Michigan, that once had been a Jewish synagogue, and then it was sold and turned into a Greek Orthodox church, and then it was sold again, and it turned into um, one of the largest abortion clinics in West Michigan. And the story kind of continued that the building was then sold again to a life-giving ministry. But what caught my eye is I was thinking, caught my ear, I should say, I was thinking, what is Focus on the Family out of Colorado doing talking about Grand Rapids, Michigan and the whole abortion thing? And it reminded me of when I was 17 and I went to Grand Rapids and had an abortion. And I said in a prayer, God, how do I know it's okay? And I didn't mean, is it all right? Because it's, it wasn't all right. What I meant with that loaded question is, how do I know, God, that you're in control? How do I know that there's really forgiveness and how do I know that there's really life after death? And aren't those the questions we all ask? And immediately when I voiced that, is it okay? A supernatural experience took place. And it was a smell that came into the car. And it was the smell of spring flowers. And I thought, okay, what's this? I'm smelling the smell of spring flowers. It reminds me of new birth. 
of new life. That something is being birthed. But I had no reference point for this kind of thing. None whatsoever. Never heard of it. Didn't walk or talk in the naturally supernatural realm. And so this smell came through the car, and, and I didn't know what to do with it. So I sat on it. I didn't go home and tell Kel because we didn't talk about, we didn't, not only did we not talk about abortion, we really didn't even talk about spiritual stuff a whole lot. So I sat and I thought about it and I prayed about it for, for two weeks. It was constantly on my mind. Then I was in my car driving to uh, evening service, evening church service, and I started backpedaling and I was justifying, like, God, you know, uh, that smell thing was really cool, and I'm sure it didn't happen, though, because I'm sure I'm just going crazy, and I was justifying that this thing, that I probably just made it up. But I said, God, you know, if it really did happen, I could use a lot of affirmation on this. So I get to the church service, and there was this guest speaker, and I'm just sitting there all by myself, and all of a sudden, the pastor puts up on the, on the great big screen, what does your faith smell like? <laughs> and what does forgiveness smell like? And I thought, there's a thousand people in here, and I think I know the answer. For me, it's spring flowers. And I thought, who uses that kind of verbiage? Who says stuff like that? It was just so weird to me. But I, I knew. I felt like those words were pointed directly at me. So I got back in the car and I said, okay, God, that was, that was really good. But really, if I told anybody this stuff, would they really believe me? And the very next day, I was at work, and I, again, I'm saying, God, I need more information. And a friend of mine came into the office and simply gave me a bouquet of flowers. And of course, I took them and smelled them. And it was the very same smell. I knew then that the Lord had revealed himself to me, that Somehow the Lord was um, pursuing me, that I was going through a spiritual transformation, though I didn't understand it, I didn't know what to do with it, and I did not know what was going to happen next. So when uh, all of a sudden uh, Pat started talking about this, you got to realize, right, this has been 30-some years, and all of a sudden things were coming out about, hey, I'm feeling like, you know, we ought to talk about this and um, this smell thing, which we just didn't grow up with that kind of tradition, I guess I'll say. Um, I'll be honest with you, I was scared, and I was scared, and, and um, I was far less than supportive. I mean, I, I don't really like sitting in front of 600 people and telling you that. 
Um, but that's the truth. And I even went down the road. I mean, it hurts saying, but I even went down the road, believe it or not, thinking, what's wrong with Pat? Uh, what's going on here? Um, I laugh about it now, but I'm telling you, it was intense, and it, it, it just about broke us up. I mean, it, it was it was intense. It was, she was going down this road, and again, just remember, I was hanging on to the silence is protection. Keep protecting everybody we know. Keep protecting us. Keep protecting her by holding on to this silence. So this, this upwelling of hey, I think. I think we ought to start talking about this story, even between us. I thought, no, silence is protection between us. Um, so it was, like I said, it was, it was hard. It was a really, really hard time. And all of a sudden, I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it, but I, I was at work, and um, I've never done this since. I never did it before. I just left work one afternoon. It was such a hard thing. And I just walked out. Um, and, and I went to a local park by work, and I, I finally said, God, what, what am I going to do? Um, and if you can hear that tone of what I was going to ask, it still wasn't about me, right? It's what am I going to do? It was, um, and God just blew me up right then and there and um, just really laid it um, it wasn't a big revealing or anything. It was just right here in a feeling that um, all of a sudden I heard, hey, big fella, you're the problem. And that was hard. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, you guys know, you know who the aggressor was here. Um, you, you know, and now you want to be supportive of Pat, but you're not. So I think you're the problem. Ooh, what do you do with that, right? Um, so uh, I cried, and here I am sitting in a park crying to myself in the car. Um, and that night, I, I went home and I said, Pat, we got to talk. And I just laid it to her. I said, you know, I, I am just truly, truly sorry. Um, and what I really wanted was protection, um, but I'm really sorry for the way I've not supported you. Um, in that type of situation. So um, that, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Yeah. So you took, you took ownership of it in that, in that moment. Um, one of the things that in our conversation that I found really powerful, Kel, was um, you were saying you were fine 30 years, you know, living the West Michigan good. Um, didn't need healing, didn't need any, any of that. Like, you were fine living your life. But as... Um, the Lord started to interact with you. How did you find healing? How did you find freedom? What happened in your life spiritually? Because I think there were a couple things that you shared with me that I, I think were just absolutely powerful, even though you thought you were fine. There was so much more that the Lord had for you. I find, found healing by um, letting the secret out, uncovering the walls of the secret, um, and that healing started with us too, right? And letting the walls of this deep, dark secret break down. Uh, so it started with us. And then um, we started sharing this story with some friends. And 
I, I found tremendous healing there because what I realized, and trust me, I had big-time doubts, big-time doubts. What I realized is my really true safe friends, what our friendship was before we shared this story is what it was three days later. They were tremendously safe. And that's how I found healing. Yeah, I would say that was the same for me. There's a difference between forgiveness and healing. We had stepped through our own, I would say, individual forgiveness. But the healing part was still hanging out there. And when I found a couple of really safe friends um, who listened very well and received even the whole smell story, um, they received it well, that's when it, it's like a little chunk. Every time you tell it, a little chunk of poison gets puked out. But the real game changer was when Kel came back to me and said he was sorry and really um, recognized and voiced his part of it. And that, that changed our relationship immediately. After we told a couple of friends, <clears throat> I, thought, I thought to myself, oh good, story done. <laughs> we've had forgiveness, we've had healing, we don't have to speak about this anymore, we're, we're golden here. But then the Lord, had another idea. So from 2006, a little time span to 2009, we go through this healing process. And all of a sudden, in a three-month period, I'm, I started meeting some people just randomly, and they told me that they were part of an organization called Life International. And I thought, Life International? I don't know what that is. And it sounds kind of pro-lifey, and though we've been healed, we really don't want anything to do with pro-life organizations. We just, we just didn't want to step into it. it. It's like it would just rip that scab right back off. So I thought, nah, that, I don't know what Life International is, but whatever. So after meeting people three times in a row, hearing about Life International, I began feeling this stirring in my spirit. And I thought, you know, what's going on with this? So I went online, and I Googled Life International, and I tap on the button that talks about their beginning and the history. And I start to hear this story about the building we're in was once a Jewish synagogue, and then it was a Greek Orthodox church, and it eventually was one of the largest abortion clinics in West Michigan, and now it's a building for life. And I thought, wait a minute. That's the exact same story I heard on the radio three years ago. And why am I now meeting these people? And God, what's going on with this? And in my spirit, I had this attraction, and it was like a magnetic pull. I I wanted to not do it, but yet I was nosy enough that I went ahead and did it and sent an e email out and said, hey, Life International, I think, I, I think I'm supposed to come to your building. Of course, the response is, sure, <laughs> set up a time. 
So I'd drive to Grand Rapids, and I'd find this building right downtown that looks a bit like a church. And the doors are big. And I go to step in, and I hold that door, and I'm so scared. And I say, God, really? You want me to walk into this building? And I heard in my spirit so loud, Pat, of course this is where I want you. You've walked in these shoes. You know what this feels like. I thought, okay. Open the doors. I walked directly down to the prayer room. And the prayer room is in the exact location where the abortions took place. And I'm sitting there waiting for staff to come down and meet me. And I'm thinking, what's that smell? And there was a heavy aroma in the room. This time it wasn't the smell of spring flowers but it was the smell of anointing oil. And it was so strong that it's like, oh, I can hardly breathe. These people from Life International come down and I start spewing out this whole story. And they were great listeners and they were kind and they were compassionate. And they uh, received the story well. And when I asked, like, what's that smell? They just kind of laughed a little bit and said, yeah, yeah, that happens every once in a while. And I said, okay, you know, what's, what's next? What do I do? And they said, well, we don't have any idea, but certainly feel free to come back and use our prayer room whenever you want to. And I thought, okay, I guess that's a plan. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. So for about six weeks, I continued coming back, and I would enter into the prayer room, and I would just shut the doors, and I would just sit on the floor all by myself with my back to the wall, and I just said, what do you want, God? What do you want? After that six-week time, I was driving there for what I figured was the last time, and I'm going, okay, God, this is it. I'm not coming back. This is, this is it for me. This is my last day. If, uh, if you're going to reveal something, would you do it today? And I had this heavy sense on my shoulders, just this heavy feeling. And I said, I don't care anymore. If you want me to quit my job, I'll quit my job. If you want me to speak, I'll speak. I, I don't care, but would you just please reveal yourself? So I get back to Life International, and the whole staff was there, and it was weird. And, <laughs> and I tell this story, and of course, the whole staff comes around me and embraces me. Eventually, a conversation takes place, and, and I say something like, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next, but do you have a job or a volunteer position or anything like that here? And a girl says, yeah, I, I do, as a matter of fact. I just posted it. Um, but I said to the Lord, would you please put that person right in front of my face? Because I don't know who I'm supposed to hire. And I thought, 
Oh, shoot. <laughs> I don't really want to work here. But we both spent time praying into it, um, working out some details. And I accepted a position of working at this building that I never really even wanted to step into. Just before I started the job, you know, you have to go in and fill out all the paperwork and junk like that. And, and they said to me, oh, by the way, there's no parking here. Okay. But if you want to, there's free parking about four or five blocks away up on Fulton Street at a place by the called... Way, I'm all about free. Yeah, free parking. <laughs> He's digging that. It's up on Fulton Street, and you can park at the Omega House of Prayer. And I thought, okay, I don't know what the Omega House of Prayer is, but that, that sounds fine with me. So somebody from staff said, hop in my car, and I'll take you up there a minute and show you where it is. So we do that. We're driving up Fulton Street. We turn into the Omega House of Prayer. Nobody tells me that this house of prayer is right next to another abortion clinic. I recognize the clinic. It's the place I was at when I was 17. She parks the car. I get out. And I know I could sit at the curb and I could cry. I could cry over the choices that I made. And as I stand there, and I'm now kind of looking into the window that I had once looked out of. Instead of crying, I get this little bit of laughter that starts bubbling up. And I stood there and I was struck by the fact that the Lord had just taken me full circle, right back, right back to that place. And I became overwhelmed with the idea that I did not orchestrate any of it, that I did not manipulate any of the things that had taken place in the last number of years. And I thought, God, you are in control. And I realized as I stood there looking at that building, that place of death, the place that I had been in and chosen death, that I, that's what I deserved was death. But instead, the Lord was pouring out life onto me. In the physical realm, he was saying, Here's life, here's life international, here's life abundant. And in the spiritual realm, he was saying, look, I'm going to just release this, and there's life. And I thought, okay, I get it. There's life after death, my second question. And then the forgiveness. I had this immediate 
sense that I understood exactly what the word mercy meant. That mercy is not receiving what you should get. And I had this overwhelming sense of mercy. And as I stood there, I thought, oh, God, you did wait patiently. You've continued to pursue me. And now you're empowering me to speak about life instead of being bound up in the idea of death. And you were empowered to speak about life eight years or so ago from this stage because you shared with Britain and what Britain did was like, hey, why don't we have you share? Um, And so you shared eight years ago and um, experienced something profound. And as a way of closing up this time, why don't you share with Murray and Park um, what's on your heart to share with them based on what happened eight or so years ago. Yeah. When we, when we shared with 120, we were scared to death because we had no idea if there was going to be pushback. We had no idea if there was just going to be silence and everybody would just pretend that there's the big elephant in the room and we're not going to acknowledge what had just been spoken out. But the opposite took place. Moran Park embraced the story. Moran Park, thank you, embraced us. Moran Park encouraged us and in a way that we never thought a church would do embraced us with um, healing encouraged us to move forward and to continue on this journey that we would really have just loved to say Hey, we're not doing this ever again. As Pat said, um, I'll be honest, I didn't want to share it again. Uh, it's not even easier the second, third, fourth, fifth time. Um, and I remember when I was, when Britain asked us to share it, and, and I didn't want to. And he said, I think, I think it's going to resonate w- with some folks. And I said, okay. You know, I tossed and turned at night. And finally I said, okay, if it resonates with one person. Britain being Britain, as we all know him, he prays for 100, you know, the, that type deal. Um, but I, I was just blown away at the, at the love and the, the safeness and I keep going to that word, but it's just huge to me. Um, how do we as people be safe? How do you, how in your circle do you be that safe person? Um, because I, I will tell you there, I, I can tell you that, you know, we're no different than any of you. We grew up here. It, it's just, we've lived a West Michigan life, but um, 
what I've really come to realize, deep, deep realization is um, there's freedom in telling your story. And as I look out here, I'm going to tell you what, every one of you, your story matters. Your story is important. No matter how deep it is, um, it really matters. So the opportunity we have, honestly, is, is how, and the opportunity that I have is, and the people that I hang around in my little inner circle, how do I become that? How do I become that safe person that people will come share their deep secret? Thank you so much. Guys, let's give them a round of applause. I think, I think in light of the conversation and the topic of about abortion, the question is how do we approach a topic like this, a topic of abortion? Because really we have to hold two things in, in tension. And I would say something that they, they echoed and, and talked about, that they're pro-abundant life, talking about the abundant life that Jesus died to give us. And so on one hand, we have to be and, and need to be you know, very boldly and courageously pro-life, speaking up for the life of the unborn. Because scripture says, and science has proven it, but scripture has says, says that God is there in the mother's womb forming the little baby in the mother's womb. I mean, you see pictures where the, the, Holy, or the, sorry, the Holy Spirit being in John the Baptist when he was in Elizabeth's womb. And the Holy Spirit doesn't inhabit, you know, an object. No, it inhabits a life. And so we have to be one that, that really upholds and speaks up for the value of, of life. But also we're pro-abundant life. And we need to, to care for and lovingly walk with those who are breathing, who are living, but are not experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. And that's what we saw in Pat and Kel's story this morning. They shared for 30 years, they were breathing, going through West Michigan best, but all the while there was something deep down inside. And I think for us, Moran Park, there are two things that we have to, to think through this morning. First of all, in the whole context of being a safe church where you can share exactly what's on your heart. This is what I went through. This is what I did. In light of that, will we be a supportive church? Because we can speak up for life and we need to continue to do that. But as somebody shares or finds themselves in, in an unplanned pregnancy, are we going to wrap our arms around them? Because many will ask, okay, I find myself in this situation, and they feel condemnation, they feel shame, often from the church world. And they're asking the question, will anybody come around us? And family often deserts them. People of friends will desert them. But Moran Park, we are not just a gathering that you attend once in a week. We are a spiritual family. We are called to be a family of believers, the body of Christ. And when somebody finds themselves in the midst of a sin, and all of a sudden that sin becomes very public, are we going to come around them and say, you know what? We're going to walk with you towards holiness. We're going to lead you into confession. We're going to teach you what it means to be a mother and a father, but ultimately it's, we're going to teach you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But I think another big question that, that many wrestle that I know some of you have asked, you even alluded to this, God, do you forgive? Do you truly forgive? 
And I believe this morning as we wrap up this whole conversation, this is a powerful picture of the power of the gospel. And I want to read to you from Romans chapter 4 into verse 5. It says this, Romans 5 verse 24, actually 23. Speaking about Abraham, when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. Speaking about Abraham's faith. It was recorded for our benefit, too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who has raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he has, was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, in his view, been made righteous by our faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Other places in Romans 5, it says that our friendship with God was reconciled, restored. That for while we were still sinners, Jesus died on the cross for us. Where grace in, or sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so this morning, I want you to hear loudly and clearly. You might be asking, does God forgive abortion? Does God forgive whatever sin you might have been carrying around for years? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Because that is the power of the gospel. We don't even re receive just forgiveness. We receive new life. The old is gone, the new has come. That's, a, that's what the, at the core of the gospel it means about re redemption, reconciliation. That we can be a friend of God all because of our faith in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. That when he went to the cross, when he was up on the cross, and when he shouted out, it is finished. He made a way for us to be finished with carrying around the shame and condemnation that we feel because he paid the price for it all. Psalm 3, verse 3 says, the Lord is the lifter of our heads. And if there's anything that we want this morning, is what they experience, what I've experienced in my life, is the Lord lifting my head and saying, you know what, you did this, but I covered it through the blood of my son Jesus. See, the blood of the cross is powerful enough and strong enough to cover any blood of any sin that you committed. And so this morning, there is new life for you. There is forgiveness for you. There is reconciliation with the Father for you, all through the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith in Jesus Christ. And then, Moran Park, we have the opportunity to look at one another differently and not look at one another as our sins deserve, saying, oh, this is the person who had an abortion, this is the person who engaged in sexual immorality, this is the gossiper, this is the greedy, this is whoever. No, we get to look at each other through the lens of the cross and remember the words that we see in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, no longer do we regard anyone to the form, uh, as, for, as far as the formal way of life. No, instead, if they are in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then they now are now ambassadors of reconciliation. See, you have a story. And God has been at work in your story. But the purpose of that is all for his glory. And that's what Pat and Keller are up here sharing today. That's what we get to live out our lives, all proclaiming the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here's what we're going to do. They've requested a song and had asked the the worship team to lead us in singing this song. It's the art of celebration, boldly I approach. And we're going to sing this song and we're going to boldly proclaim the victory that, victory that we have in Christ Jesus. That the cross does cover all of our sins. And so I'm going to ask you to stand uh, right now and we're going to sing this worship 
and celebrate the fact that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.